It's been a week. It's time for a strength check. What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak. This is another episode of Strength Check. So this week's episode might end up being a little bit shorter than usual. I guess we'll kind of play it by ear because of the holiday. I've got family in town. My daughter, somehow I blinked and she turned one and she's trying to walk, which is insane. And I don't approve of it. (laughs) I'm not, I'm just not sure where the time went. And so it's been just one of those a string of emotionally exhausting and time-consuming few days. So, yeah, so there's that. So last week we talked about President McKinley and his assassination and his assassin and I guess just what McKinley's legacy is. And since that episode came out, since I recorded it, at least, I've been thinking a lot about why we don't talk about McKinley more. And people have said it's that well you know he's just not he's he's boring he's he's his presidency isn't exactly really interesting and i really disagree with that like if you look at what he accomplished for better or worse william mckinley was one of the most important presidents in american history like nothing that exists today like the timeline i think (laughs) was irrevocably altered by mckinley and it's a it's a mystery. It's really a mystery to me why certain elements in the United States today haven't haven't made him almost like a, a mascot or or deified him at all, right? Because he he stands for or stood for so much of what a lot of people today I think would really really buy into, and the fact that he was murdered by this really bizarre uh socialist anarchist just oddball i think adds a whole other level to the story where you have people today who are really up in arms about democratic socialism and everything that it represents and here is this president who was completely responsible for the united states becoming this global commercial and militaristic empire Although we didn't reach empire status during McKinley's administration or during his life, certainly the groundwork was laid by his work um, and his his entire administration. Um, and so, to me, it seems like like a two for one deal, right? Like this guy who created the modern United States of America, who was murdered by this just bizarre man. Like, I think there are elements of this country that would would deify him, like I said. And so the fact that that hasn't happened at all is really baffling to me. Like, I, I don't understand why this never came up during the Cold War. Like, I don't understand why McKinley's face wasn't, like, added to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I don't 
I don't understand why McKinley's face isn't on any of our currency. I, I don't understand why President Nixon or Reagan or either of the Bushes or Trump haven't been out there like championing everything that McKinley accomplished because he's so much in line with everything. I don't want to say that they stand for because I don't think that they really stand for much, but I think everything that they are, right, is, is represented by McKinley. And so the only conclusion that I can reach is that, well, I mean, there has to be a reason why they're not. And it's it's more than just the fact that he's really boring, right? He's a fascinating campaign. His family life was interesting. He was just an, he's an interesting president. So the only conclusion that I can reach, and I think it's like the most parsimonious one, is that maybe people don't hype McKinley so much because taking a hard look at what he did would probably remind people that there was a period in American history where the things that we're doing today that we think are completely normal were kind of a radical new idea. And not a radical new idea in the sense that we usually talk about the American Revolution, where a lot of times the American Revolution is taught as uh, one day George Washington woke up and said to Thomas Jefferson, hey, bro, let's have some democracy up in here. And they did. And it was red. Uh, not in that sense, right? The sense that the United States was still this this weird sort of backwater rebel colony that suddenly became the colonizer. I wonder how people would take that. <laughs> the idea that companies didn't mass produce stuff when mass production has become like the norm for us, beyond a norm. It's, it's become woven into the fabric of our, our identities, almost. And so to consider that there was a period in time where companies just made what they could sell, and people made stuff by hand, and it wasn't Etsy, and it was normal, you know, for everybody who wants to <clears throat> make America great again, wouldn't that kind of, like, make them think twice about what what parts of our past we're trying to actually embrace? And so I kind of think that the reason why people don't teach McKinley is because of the power that it would give people in learning about McKinley, right? Like, it's, it's become common knowledge, I think, at least among a lot of educators, that there are certain things that are withheld from the curricula because they don't want to empower students, right? Like, I think there are school boards across the country that are actively working against the best interest of the kids. And so glossing over McKinley, not talking about McKinley at all, I I kind of think is a power play. Right? I think that it teaching this challenges us to think about, well, how did we get here? And instead of like asking that question, it's so much easier to say, well, there's the Civil War and President Lincoln was assassinated, and then the Union won, and everything was cool until World War One, and then that was weird, and then suddenly World War Two happened. <laughs> right? Like this whole chunk of time is is redacted <laughs> from popular teaching of American history, and so why? 
And so you might be listening to this with no idea of what McKinley was about and what happened during his administration and say, well, maybe this is because of war. Maybe we we only teach the parts of American history where we can go from like battle after battle after battle, right? And and for a long time, history in, in public schools and in a lot of colleges, I think, has been really just focused on military history unless political and social and cultural and economic history. And so maybe because the United States was at peace and nothing really interesting happened militarily, then that's why we don't talk about McKinley. But like we kind of almost invaded Cuba. We went to war with Spain. <laughs> we we were engaged in this like eye for an eye one-upsmanship with Filipino rebels as we tried to take Manila and hold Manila and and turn Manila into this American port where American troops did horrible things to the Filipinos there. And the Filipino guerrillas fighting back against Spanish and then American occupation did terrible things to us. And so if your idea of history is that it's this real-life blood-and-guts men triumphing in battle and the spreading of democracy and all of that sort of history channel before it became about aliens type of stuff then this is right in your right in your ballpark bro like this is this is your thing this is what you get up in the morning to do i want to talk about war i want to talk about battles i want to talk about generals i want to talk about heroic actions so again like mckinley administration has all of those elements of of a period in American history that in other circumstances would be lionized. (laughs) If it happened to any other president after him, if any other president after him was assassinated by such an odd dude who was a dyed-in-the-wool anarchist, then it would be, you know, (laughs) commonplace. But it's not. And so the answer is power. I mean, that's what it comes back to in in virtually everything, right? The answer is power. It's not boring. It's power. It's 100% power. And as I sit here and think about this and, and work my way through this question of why we don't talk about President McKinley when his administration laid the groundwork for so much of of the rest of American life and what we know of it today, what we understand today, the only thing I can think of as to why it's not taught is that we don't want people thinking about what life was like before mass production, before global capitalism, before all of that. The other question that I've, I've been wrestling with is, and I might have mentioned this last week, is would any of this have happened or would this have happened regardless of who was president. Did it matter who was in the White House in 1896 and in 1900? Or would have it happened later? Right? Like, it's one of those one of those intellectual sort of, like, thought questions that, that sometimes can, seems kind of pointless and can lead you down all sorts of, like, alt-history rabbit holes, right? Like, what happened if, if Al Gore really was president in 2000? What happens in 9-11? Do we ever get Obama? Do we get Trump now? Like that type of stuff, right? Um, but we're still living in that, so we can't really, I don't feel comfortable like projecting what ifs there. But 119 years ago, 125 years ago, <sighs> math, 
we we have plenty of of perspective now. So, you know, McKinley dies and Teddy Roosevelt becomes president. And Teddy Roosevelt would have gone to war. Teddy Roosevelt's ghost might come back and try to fight me now <laughs> for talking about what a kind of strangely angry dude he was. Like, always spoiling for a fight. So, invading Cuba and the Philippines and... You know, my favorite Teddy Roosevelt story is that he wanted to establish American naval power, and so he slapped a fresh po- fresh coat of paint on the fleet and wanted to send him on a world tour, and Congress says, no, 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 we don't have the money for that, we're not doing that, this is stupid. And so Roosevelt sends them halfway around the world until they run out of fuel and says, well, so about that, guys, the entire fleet is stranded, pony up, kind of a little, like, authoritarian but that's that charm, right? Like, that's why we like authoritarian dudes that we, we, we say like, oh man, like I wish I could have the backbone to do something like that. Like, that's so cool that Teddy did that. So the military empire part of it, I think was still going to happen, but Teddy Roosevelt wasn't somebody who was exactly the friend of the corporation. So maybe it does hold off. Right? Maybe this idea of global American imperial capitalism doesn't launch in the 1900s. And so then if that doesn't happen, then like, does the stock market crash? Is there such a thing as a, as a massive stock market crash? Do we become so... Do we have all of our eggs in this basket and then Black Friday doesn't happen? Like, I don't know. Like, There's lots of questions that you have to think about. Like, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. And so if we go back through and we flip a variable right we zig when we zagged then what could have been and you know i think that eventually somebody would have come along and sold out because that's kind of what mckinley did right he sold out to win the election and so i think somebody else would have done it i mean we're dealing with it now basically so if not him then somebody might have come along and, and done it But then the timing of stuff happening outside of the United States makes it all really interesting too, right? Like, are we able to to compete? If you want to think about it as a competition in World War I, I don't know. But it's interesting. On top of this, we have, like, the assassin, Leon. And I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I'm betraying my Polish heritage by not being able to pronounce his last name. I'm just going to call him Leon. I think that we're all okay with that. I apologize to my ancestors they don't care um but so your boy leon gets it all in his head that the president has to die in order for there to be some kind of of massive blow against the capitalist movement in name of labor and the workers and you know even though anarchy or anarchists at the time were saying like we do not support this this is not something we want to have happen we are non-violent we're not into this he still gets it in his head to do it anyway and he does it and he like in the aftermath is kind of freaking out and tells people that it wasn't worth it. And like, yeah, like I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> My bad. I, I mean, I got caught up in the moment and I probably shouldn't have done it. And like there's, he gets no support from anybody. Um, there are no anarchists who are like really all about him that I'm, that I'm aware of at least. I mean, it's not the last time that, that socialism and anarchy and, and labor and all of this leads to violence in the United States at all. So I kind of wonder if people in the um, 
following decades like thought about him at all and and what the legacy of of his assassination of president mckinley was um but anyway like his family like is so furious with him for doing it and when he's electrocuted he his last words were about doing this to strike a blow for the working man and then it's you know he gone so he's a perfect villain like he's such a, a strange guy that I again the only reason I can think of as to why why this story isn't talked about is like maybe today with how we we see people who are alienated and isolated and desperate like maybe there's fear that people are going to start looking up to Leon not that I would agree with anything that he stands for because anarchy is a weird thing anarchy is not this idea of just complete and total chaos i think that people paint it as that because you know it's challenging the power structure so we're going to call it a wrap for this week um i do want to talk about a couple of D related things coming up um so our semester is almost over i am almost a free man from this academic year i'm counting the days i'm counting the hours literally until i'm liberated from what has been a grueling academic year but this summer on the D front very excited um play for progress uh, i've mentioned it here many times in the past we are going full steam ahead we are starting in september at our first school using D to help high school students who have dealt with trauma in some in some way victimization they've been bullied um they have been harassed they are victims of discrimination they are dealing with substance use disorders either vicariously or themselves they have mental health problems like so many of us do they feel isolated they feel like they don't matter and i am convinced as i have said on this show probably many times before that we can use this game and we can use this sort of narrative storytelling as a way to improve their lives and so if you go to gofundme.com slash play for progress with hyphens between play for and for progress chip in a dollar chip in whatever the minimum is that gofundme will let you donate it will help us it will help us help these kids in ways that you can't possibly imagine to help hype this this summer my volunteers and i are going to start a show um we're going to do a podcast probably linked up with strength check maybe it'll go on the strength check feed i'm not sure um but we're going to do something that's tentatively called the broken among us and it's going to be probably a 15-episode run, give or take, of a D&D story that is about everything that Play for Progress wants to accomplish. But because we are using it as a way to market towards potential donors, people like you, people who can spread the gospel of what we're trying to accomplish, um, we're going to deal with it in a way that's a little bit more mature than what we'll be able to do at the high school level so i fully intend to have to record a disclaimer saying something along the lines of the following podcast contains adult language and mature themes viewer discretion is advised or listener whatever you know what i'm trying to say on top of that the idea that i've had to get criminal justice professionals so criminology professors lawyers public defenders social workers whomever, anybody who is invested, involved in some way in this larger criminal justice system, there's an idea there to have people also play D&D in a way that is meant to educate the public about the complexities of the criminal justice system. 
So I had an opportunity to see Brian Stevenson speak this past weekend. And if you don't know anything about Brian Stevenson, I, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend checking out his book, Just Mercy. Um, he is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. He is a, a living saint. The man is, un- unabashedly, I can say that the man is my hero. And so at his talk on Sunday, he, he said something about how one of the things that we can all do to try to make the world a better place is to share these stories and these narratives about how complex the justice system is and the ways in which the justice system can, well, I mean, it eats people alive, right? There's nobody involved in it that I think goes in it or comes out better than they were when they went in, no matter what your involvement is. Um, And there are tons of stories that need to be told. And because the justice system has become so politicized, I think the best way to get at this, or one of the best ways to get at this, is through something like a game like D&D, honestly. And so if I can assemble professors and journalists and lawyers and social workers and whomever is listening to this who has a stake in the system in some way, in any way, to get together and, and just play the game, play a serious story, working in anecdotes about our research, our experiences on the ground, anything and everything that we see, ways that we can use this fictional setting to educate the public, even if we're only getting 20 listeners or 10 listeners or two listeners, those are two people that we're sharing this information with that we hadn't before. It really is that cliche of if you hit one person, you reach one person, you help one person, then you, the work is worth it. And I really think that this work is worth it. Like This is a non-traditional way to educate people about this colossus that just grinds people up. So if that is you, if you are listening to this podcast right now, Easter, the day after Easter 2019, and this is you and you want to participate in this in some way, please reach out. Um, I would love to work with you. Programming note, Strength Tech will not be posted next week. Um, we're taking a week off to kind of think about this show. Mark's got stuff going on. I've got finals week. People need a break. So we're giving you a week. See you in May. So that's it for this week. You can contact the show at strengthcheckpodcast@gmail.com or follow us on the Red Hot Twitter machine at strengthcheck. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at heydrwill. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. The show is produced, as always, by the incomparable Mark Warren. Mark looked at this at around 10 minutes and 25 seconds and thought, this is tight. Mark is also laughing right now because I said at the top of the show that the show might be a little bit shorter than usual, and here we are turning in a regular episode. It's funny how that works, right? All right, people, be good. Fight forever. See ya.